As you'll have seen from Carlton's game earlier on, um, today we're going to be looking at signs. So I thought we might start by looking at a few which are a bit more unusual. I thought these were quite funny. They were at the tops apparently in Sheffield when we had the floods. Um, okay, on to the next couple. That's what I feel like a lot of the time on my way to Rotherham. <laughs> I don't think that's real. I like it anyway. Bizarre. This is my favourite. <laughs> but um, what are signs for, really? Um, to warn us, to help us to stay safe from trains at random crossings, um, to point us in the right direction, to show us where we're going to end up if we keep going. Well, on Friday evening, I went back to Beverly, which is my hometown, the place where I spent most of my teenage years. The traffic on the way there was pretty bad. Um, there'd been an accident further down the road. Do you want to just click on one more? Accident further down the road, and I was told there were going to be queues ahead, that a lane was going to be closing, and that my journey was going to be delayed. I knew exactly what the problem was, all through the matrix signs above the road, signs that told me what was wrong in my little world. Well, when I eventually arrived in Beverly, I made my way to a restaurant, which is on this next slide, Farthing Steak Emporium. The restaurant my brother Adam and his wife Tracy have just opened. Saying that makes me feel quite proud and quite old. Um, the sign outside tells you who's in charge and what they're all about. So my brother is in charge, or at least Tracy lets him think so most of the time, and he loves steak, and I'm telling you, it's really, really good steak. Um, that sign gave me quite a warm glow inside, and I felt honoured to share that name. Leaving to come back to Sheffield yesterday, I travelled back down the M62, the M18, the M1, onto the parkway. I can almost do that journey in autopilot, because it's a journey I know really, really well. But I always get a little bit of a lift when I get to Sheffield and see the signs of Sheffield, because I know that I'm nearly home, and home means my own bed, a nice cup of tea, putting my feet up. That sign gives me a bit of hope. Well, the stories we're looking at today contain three signs. A sign of what's wrong in the world, a sign of who's in charge and what they're all about, and a sign pointing us forward to where we're going. So, so far in Acts, we've seen the church grow from a gathering of believers in an upper room in Jerusalem, through the wonderful work of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, and the scattering of the believers through persecution after the death of Stephen. I hope you can remember from last week the story of Saul's conversion on the road to Damascus. Saul was told by Jesus himself that he would be used to take the gospel to the Gentiles, that is, the non-Jews. And at the end of last week, Saul was on a boat heading up to Tarsus, and we were told in verse 31, Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened. Living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. Today our stories will look at what that looked like in practice, living in fear of the Lord, encouraged by the Holy Spirit, and increasing in numbers. So with Paul on his journey up the coast, Luke's account turns back to Peter, who is taking a trip out west to visit God's people who are now scattered across Judea. So if you want to click on one more, we've got a map. Ooh, we should have a map. Next one, maybe? Here we go. Um, so I'm not sure we will able to see from here. Let's see this microphone. Okay, so Jerusalem is here. Here's Lydda, and there's Joppa, right at the edge. Just see how it In these two towns, Lydda and Joppa, we see two miracles. Miracles that offer us signs, telling us what's wrong in the world. 
Science telling us who's in charge and what they're concerned about, and signs that tell us where we are going. The first sign is that there's something that's not quite right in the world. Verse 32. As Peter travelled about the country, he went to visit the Lord's people who lived in Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, who was paralysed and had been bedridden for eight years. Aeneas hadn't left his bed for eight years. Can you remember your life eight years ago? I'm pretty certain a lot has happened to each one of us over that time. I worked out earlier, I'd moved house nine times during that period. Aeneas had four walls to look at around him, and most of his stories would have revolved around the people that came to visit him. But the story that he was going to be able to tell after Peter's visit is one that he's going to be telling for the rest of his life. The text doesn't tell us whether Aeneas was one of the believers, but given that Peter's in his house, it seems logical to assume that he was one of them. We don't get to hear much about Aeneas. Why is he paralysed? What led to him being there? How old is he? Is he married? What we do know is if it had been for eight years, then that means prior to this, he'd been up and about. And in a society where the head of the household was the breadwinner, it's likely that Aeneas being bedridden was something that brought not just pain, discomfort and frustration for him, but also perhaps financial and family difficulties. Have a look a little later in the passage at verse 36. We see another story that shows us something is wrong in the world. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek, her name is Dorcas. Apparently, both these names mean gazelle, randomly. And she was always doing good and helping the poor. About that time, she became sick and died, and her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Lydda was near Joppa, so when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, they sent two men to him and urged him, please come at once. Peter went with them, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the widows stood about him, crying and showing him the robes and other clothing Dorcas had made while she was still with them. Where we assume that Aeneas was probably a follower of Jesus, we see that Dorcas definitely was one because she's called a disciple. Not only a disciple, but one who was always doing good and helping the poor. Now, I don't know if you're like me and you get images in your head when you're reading Bible stories, but I see Dorcas as a kind of Judean Janet Collier, someone who is well known for her kind heart and generosity. When Dorcas died, the disciples completed the the, uh, required preparations of the body after death and sent two men to Peter, urging him to come to Joppa immediately. It was obvious when Peter arrived how dearly everyone had loved her. The widows were all stood around, holding up the things she'd made for them and weeping. These two stories are signs that all isn't well in the world. Heartache, suffering, sickness and death are written all over them. Aeneas trapped in his bed for eight years. Dorcas, much loved dying and leaving behind grieving friends. And it wouldn't take long, looking at each of our lives, to find a way in which we are touched by pain or sickness or death. The writer Susan Cleaver says it this way, death is terrifying because it is so ordinary. It happens all the time. But this wasn't the way it was meant to be. Suffering, sickness and death were never God's design for the world in Eden, but came into the world, Adam and Eve's defiance of God. The curse on them, and so on us, is that we won't any longer have access to the tree of life. So we will die, and we will struggle painfully in work, having children, and in relationships. The two people that we meet in Acts 9 were living in the same fallen world that we're in, a world where all is not right. Thankfully, neither of those stories end there, because there are also signs about who is in control and what they're concerned with. Take another look at the passage in verse 34. Aeneas, Peter said to him, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and roll up your mat. Immediately Aeneas got up. All those who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. 
Peter addresses Aeneas directly, doesn't lay a hand on him, but tells him that Jesus healed him and tells him to get up, and immediately Aeneas does. Peter makes it clear who's doing the healing here, Jesus Christ. Jesus promised that those who believed in him would do the things he'd been doing. And Peter had been with him, watching, learning, seeing Jesus do miracles, signs of who he was. Peter had seen a miracle like this before, one that we're told about in Mark 2, where a paralysed man was lowered through a roof to Jesus' feet. Jesus told the man his sins were forgiven and then told him to take up his mat and walk. Peter was doing as he'd been taught to do at Jesus' side, using almost exactly the same words. And if a paralysed man walking wasn't exciting enough, have a look down in verse 42 to the story of Dorcas. Peter sent them all out of the room, then he got down on his knees and prayed. Turning towards the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes, and seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called for the believers, especially the widows, and presented her to them alive. Now don't forget that the book of Acts was written by Luke, who was a doctor, who knew that people did not, as a matter of course, just get up from being dead. It just didn't happen. And as it was ten miles to Lydda for the messengers to get to Peter, and ten miles for them to get back with Peter, she certainly was dead. There was no doubt about that. But Peter knows and believes in Jesus, and Peter has seen a miracle like this one before as well. Mark tells us about this one in Mark chapter 5, where Jairus' daughter had died. Jesus went to the house, put all the mourners outside, and spoke to the dead girl, saying, Little girl, I say to you, get up. Against all logical expectations, the girl rose from the dead. Peter is doing as he'd been taught at Jesus' side. Peter sends everyone out of the room, he gets down onto his knees and he prays, and in the power of the Holy Spirit, speaks to Dorcas, Tabitha, getting her to get up. Straight away, she opens her eyes, sits up, he takes her by the hand and takes her outside to her friends. There are signs in these stories that suffering and sickness are never far from us, but there are also signs that God is not far from his people. God cares about the brokenness of the world, and signs that God offers us hope in the face of the devastating nature of death. Throughout the Gospels, we saw amazing things happening wherever Jesus was, as he showed who he was by performing miracles. Now that Jesus has gone back to the Father's side in heaven, those things do not just happen where one person is based. They take place anywhere that God's people are living in the fear of the Lord, working in Jesus' name, and through the power of the Holy Spirit. God in each one of them. Peter will remember Jesus' promise in John 14. Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of Truth. The world cannot accept him, because it neither sees him or knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. Where Jesus was limited by geography in his physical body, his followers now can take good news and the power of God wherever they go. And because they'd been scattered by persecution, they were heading all over the place. In two remarkable moments, Peter sees God's power entirely change the lives of two people. Aeneas gets up and walks for the first time in eight years, and Dorcas gets up from her deathbed, literally. Remarkable. Is it any wonder these two miracles have such an effect? They turn everything upside down. And not just for the family and friends of Dorcas and Aeneas. Have a look at verse 35 and verse 42. Both of these miracles led to large numbers of people becoming Christians, and not just one or two people, entire towns. 
After Aeneas was healed, all those who lived in Lydia and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. And after Dorcas' coming back from the dead, many people believed in the Lord. Because each of these miracles were a big neon sign pointing to the fact that Jesus is real. And his heart is to reach into sadness, sickness and death and transform them. Something we see written for us most clearly on the cross. John Piper puts it this way. Christ is not dead and he is not distant and he is not silent and he is not weak. And he's not uninterested in the world and the progress of his mission and in your life. He is alive. And what he began to do in his earthly life, he is continuing to do. He is full of surprises for churches and for nations and for families and for individual people. These miraculous stories are signs to us pointing to what's wrong in the world, pointing to a God who's in control and who shows he cares about these things. And finally, they point us forward to a place that we're heading. Whilst the miraculous healing and resurrection of Aeneas and Dorcas were wonderful signs, I don't doubt that Aeneas got older and his legs didn't work as well as they used to. He probably spent longer sitting than he did as a young man and made those noises old people make when they get out of chairs. And Dorcas, well, I don't think she's still wandering around Joppa today at the grand old age of 2000. She'll have got old and she'll have died. In this lifetime, those symptoms of sin, suffering, pain and death that came into the world at a fall will still reach into each one of our lives. But, and this is a big but, there will come a day all those things will pass away. Have a look with me at Revelation chapter 21, which is on page 881. Starting at verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, or mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. These miracles are signs, pointing us to the fact that God's kingdom is never far away from those who believe in him. And as the gospel moves out across Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, we see God showing through signs like these who he is and what he has done, is doing, and will do to deal with sin, suffering, and death. In the midst of suffering, pain, and death, God is there, and he changes the rules by which we think the world should work so that people would know him and turn to him. You've got some questions in your group, um, and then maybe some pointers about where you could be praying. And then I think we'll come together for one last song at the end.